The John Morris Show, episode 158. The John Morris Show. Your life on code. Ladies and gentlemen, John Morris. Hey everybody, John Morris here. JohnMorrisOnline.com. Welcome back to another episode of The John Morris Show. This episode, we got three things for you. First, we're going to get into a little bit of an I told you so and talk about how to get a job in the video game industry. So any of you interested in that will want to stick around for that. We're also going to be talking about K-Nearest Neighbors and machine learning and how this can be something that you can kind of get into if that sort of AI thing type interests you. And then last but not least, we're going to be talking about why some coders get paid more and some lessons that I've learned over the years that should help you to understand how to approach your IT career and the getting paid side of being a coder. Now, before we get into all that, if you would like to subscribe to the show, you can head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash podcast, and you'll see all my past episodes. You'll see all the different places you, you can subscribe, whether that's SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Android devices, all of that stuff. All of that is over there at johnmorrisonline.com slash podcast. So if you'd like to subscribe to the show, you can head on over there. Also, want to recommend you get on my daily email newsletter uh, right at the top of johnmorrisonline.com. You go to access to my free PHP course there, and you will also get on my daily tips newsletter so you I'll be in your inbox on a daily basis if you haven't done done that yet I recommend that all right so let's start off and let's talk about how to get a job in the video game industry and so as I mentioned this is a little bit of an I told you so so I came across this course the other day uh, on Udemy and it was about getting a job in the video game in industry and it happened to pop up in my feed I wasn't really looking for anything like that but it it interested me so I said, what the heck, I'll kind of join up. I think they were doing one of their $10 deals, and so I, I just jumped on it. So I, I I got a few lessons in, and I couldn't help feel a little bit validated or vindicated uh, in the face of all the trolls that tend to harass me about the things that I drone on about, because lesson number 10 in the course was why you absolutely have to specialize. And I talk about this all the time, the importance of specializing in anything, but especially in our industry where so many people market themselves as these kind of do-it-all coders that know all of these different languages. They're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Marketing yourself as a specialist in one particular thing that, oh, by the way, happens to have a really huge market and a lot of people that want that particular thing done. I mean, you have to be smart about it. But specializing like that can be a really huge advantage because people just they just when someone calls themselves a specialist puts themselves out there as a specialist they just believe that that person knows more about that particular topic than someone who puts themselves out as a generalist they may not you may not know more but the people who come to look at your bio your services page your freelancing profile whatever that's what they'll think so again lesson number 10 is why you absolutely have to specialize. So that should sound familiar. So let me through, throw a few more left hooks 
at this dead horse. So here's how Rick, one of the authors of the course, explains why specialization is so important, why you absolutely have to do it in order to get a job in the video game industry, and frankly, any industry in my opinion. So in video games, not specialized looks like this. Using words like, or, or describing your role or the positions you've had as 3D artist, game designer, or developer. Specialized looks more like this, which is 3D character modeler, level designer, tools programmer. Now, if you look at those two lists, you should be able to immediately see the difference between the two. One is really general, something like developer or 3D artist or game designer. That's not really all that specific. What does that actually mean? What have you actually done? So they're general and they don't really mean much. While the other, a character modeler, a level designer, a tools programmer, those are more specific and they explain exactly what you do. Now, as I've probably mentioned a hundred times before, this matters for two reasons. One, employers might not exactly know what you mean when you use those more general terms. They might not know exactly, the, their question is going to be, okay, but what have you actually done? Like everybody that applies here is a game designer, or a developer, what have you actually done? And we all know, I mean, in web design and web development, you or, or not even just IT in general, you have people who maybe write desktop software, you have web programmers, you have network people who you know, run cables, and do, they're all totally different. It's the difference between, say, a dentist and, you know, some orthopedic surgeon, right? You don't want a de dentist doing your orthopedics and vice versa. So you have to be really specific because employers, employers may not know what you mean when you use those more generic terms. Also, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, claiming a specialty is just automatically more believable making it that you making it more likely for you to get the interview and ultimately the job. Now again, this should all be deja vu because I've talked about this, you know, hundreds of times before. And as I mentioned, this stuff is relevant to any any industry and Rick is exactly right. This this doing this has been kind of my dirty little secret throughout my career. When I had very very little experience, I was able to get hired because I marketed myself as a specialist. I didn't have a big portfolio. I didn't have big name clients, but I had a few things that I could throw in there and I marketed myself as knowing this one thing really well. And so uh, it's just helped me a ton in my career to be able to get work early on and then build up a portfolio that now uh, I could use that when someone looked at it, not only was I specializing, there's, wow, this massive portfolio, these big names in this portfolio, and it became a no-brainer to hire me. So, you know, this stuff isn't fancy tricks, right? This is fundamentals that actually work. And it's ignoring the supposed, all the fancy tricks that you might learn out there from somebody else that sound sexy, but they don't actually work. So. I've droned on and on and on about this before, but so many people still aren't doing it. And so until until that day comes when everybody's out there doing this, I'm going to continue to pound on this. Now, anyway, if you want to get a job in the video game industry or really use this to, to get insight on how to get a job in any industry, 
you can join the course that I joined up in over on Udemy. And you can do it at a steep discount right now. So the link for that is johnmorrisonline.com slash video game job. So if you head on over there, that will take you through to the discount link. You can get the discount over on that course. And in lesson 11, Rick is going to show you how to pick your specialty. And I think more important, craft your specialization statement. So this is an actual statement that you can use to communicate through your resume, your freelancing profile, your bio, your services page, whatever you do, it's a specialization statement that you can use to communicate to employers or potential clients specifically and exactly what you're about so they understand it and it positions you as that specialist and makes it more likely that you get work. So he's going to do that in lesson 11 along with a whole ton of other things that you learn about getting a job in the video game industry. So Again, if that's something that you're interested in, you can head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash video game job, all one word, no hyphens or anything crazy like that. All right, next, let's talk about K-nearest neighbors and machine learning. So most AI work today is focused on mimicking how human brains work because it, we don't notice it, but we're capable of some very, very complex things that to us seem very trivi trivial. So let's take a, let's look at an example. Take a vase. Now imagine if I were to take that vase and I were to drop it from over top of my head onto a concrete floor. Just looking at that situation, do you think it would break? I think most of us would say, yeah, it probably would. But what if I took that same vase, the same concrete floor, but I change one variable and I drop it from six inches off the ground. Do you think it would break then? Maybe, maybe not. It's less clear, right? There's, there's more of a chance. Now imagine if we change two variables. Not only do I drop it from six inches off the floor, but now the floor isn't concrete. It's made of rubber. Would it break then? Probably not, right? So all of these different variables affect the outcome of that particular situation. And you and I can calculate the probability of the vase breaking almost instantly. We can see a snapshot of that in our mind and kind of get an instant idea of what we think is going to happen. And it happens kind of without us really feeling about it. We almost kind of get a gut feeling about it. But if you think about it, machines, which will be our future robot overlords, by the way, <laughs> They have to be taught how to do this. They don't instantly know how to do this. We have to show them. Okay. And this is where K nearest neighbors comes in. So given a set of variables, some previous data and some new data and a new data point, it will calculate the nearest neighbors to the new data point from pre-existing data, which will indicate what the outcome will be. So it's going to see, okay, if it has data on, okay, there's this particular kind of vase, it's made of ceramic, then you have this vase that's made of glass, you have this vase that's made, of, you have a number of variables in terms of the vase, you have variables in terms of the height, different heights, and you have variables in terms of the floor, it could be concrete, it could be rubber. What K-nearest neighbor does is all those are plotted, right, and then we plot a new data point. So we know the vase is made of ceramic, we're dropping it from six feet high, and it's onto a concrete floor. We plot that point, 
what K nearest neighbors does is essentially takes the nearest neighbors to that data point and we know the outcome. So here it broke, here it broke, and here it broke. So all the nearest neighbors to this data point, data point, the vase broke. So we can determine, hey, that vase is probably going to break. And this is what K nearest neighbors allows uh, AI and, 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 and machines to do. So our future sex bots <laughs> will be able to see the new data and the vase I'm about to drop, the floor, all of that stuff, and calculate using K nearest neighbors the probability of that vase breaking or not, and then be able to react accordingly to that. And so this is one of the ways that machines, that AI will think is using a sort of algorithm like this. Now, and they'll be able to do it with eventually with just huge complex data sets that we won't even be able to necessarily process. Now, this is just one of the many things that you get into when you start dealing with machine learning and AI and so forth. And this is the type of stuff that machine learning developers, AI developers, this is the stuff that they work on and that they try to figure out what are the algorithms, what do they need to look like, let's start testing the algorithms, etc. This is what they do. So if you dig it, dig that stuff and you want to be a part of the future of technology and development, then you can learn more about it at johnmorrisonline.com slash AI. And you're going to learn it from somebody who has actually done it for big companies and taught it to students at Columbia and NYU and other, other universities. So this guy knows his stuff and he knows how to teach it. And then after that, get to cracking on my personal service robot because I've got dishes that need put away. <laughs> All right, again, that's johnmorrisonline.com slash AI if you want to learn more about that. All right, finally, why some coders get paid more. This is a kind of tale of two developers. One takes the standard approach, the one that you'll find in advice, advice blogs and videos everywhere, the typical, I know XYZ languages, I can do blah, 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 I'm so reliable, yada, 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 all of that mumbo jumbo. One takes that approach. And things don't go well. Getting clients is nearly impossible. And the ones they do get pay pennies. And they treat them <laughs> like a whipped mule. And eventually they give up and live out their burger flipping days, trolling forums, and YouTube videos, fanatically raving about how Upwork or Freelancer is a complete BS scam. Don't do it. Ah! And I have a perfect case in point because I get this stuff all the time. So I got this over on YouTube. Freelancer is Thief Group. They have gotten and get will get huge unearned income by limiting. I'm I'm just reading it verbatim here, by the way. By limiting and suspending accounts of freelancers slash clients. In according to Analyze recent a month, Freelancer limited about two thousand freelancer slash client accounts and stole their balance slash fund of of a hundred thousands. Please secede from this dirty website ASAP if you don't want to lose your money. So I get these actually all the time, email, YouTube comments. It's not a, this is exact words, but it's similar things to this. Some are a little uh, more grammatically correct. But you can feel the shade in this sort of comment. Now, some of this I wonder, some of these I really do wonder if this is some competitor 
hiring people to put out these sort of negative comments is kind of a negative marketing thing. I really do wonder that because, I mean, this one is just so grammatically bad. I don't even know. I don't even know where to start, to be honest. But some of them sound I've actually responded to and it's someone there responding and it seems like someone who legitimately feels this way. So, again, the shade is real on these. Now, like I said, it's a tale of two de developers. So on the flip side, you have devs like this comment. It said, it took me two months, days and nights to learn and start working as a freelancer three years ago. I'm now top rated at Upwork. It's all about faith. Here's another one. I bought my first car this month from my earnings on Odesk and Elance in just three months. And now I know that you could immediately say, well, that's anecdotal. Well, it's not all just anecdotal. There are 2.9 million independent contractors slash freelancers making six figures per year in the U.S. And that's 16% of all independent contractors. So just about one-fifth or 20%. And that's according to MBO Partners, which studies this stuff. So there's plenty of freelancers out there making a ton of money. The question is, what does the one dev know that the other doesn't? What is the one doing that the other isn't? Now, I can tell you there's a few things. First, the, the, the most important one deals with your fundamental approach to what you are actually offering people. So here's an example. In Des Moines, Iowa, where I lived for about 10 years, there's this gourmet burger joint called Zombie Burger. And one of their most popular burgers is called the Walking Ched, a play on the Walking Dead. And this thing <laughs> is kind of freaky. So it's a cheeseburger. It's covered in bacon, caramelized onions, and then mac and cheese. And then the bun isn't a regular bun. It's actually mac and cheese that they make into like this little patty looking thing. And they fry up. And so it's like this little mac and cheese, fried mac and cheese puck that is the bun for, for the burger. And this thing costs, uh, they have different versions, single, double, triple, but it costs as much. It's like, I think the cheapest is nine and the most expensive is 13. So nine to 13 bucks. And it also happens to be one of the nine most popular burgers in the United States, according to Business Insider. Now, take that and compare that to McDonald's. And I'm not a big McDonald's hater. McDonald's is fine. We eat at McDonald's all the time. My kids love it. But you do get kind of boring run-of-the-mill burgers there. You get cheeseburger. You get hamburger. They have some little bit different stuff, but nothing there is really too crazy. Nothing close to what Zombie Burger and the Walking Ched are, right? You're not going to find anything like that at McDonald's. So there's really no artistry, no perspective that they're giving you. They're just giving you run-of-the-mill, cookie-cutter, copycat burgers. Now, and and those things sell for a couple bucks. Now, both companies do well financially. I mean, McDonald's does really, really well. But go to one of these <laughs> gourmet burger joints and pay attention to the people that work there, the people that manage it, the people that own it. Then go to a McDonald's and check out the employees, the people that own it, the people that run it. Who looks happier? Who looks more fulfilled? The reason that and the reason that is, isn't, you know, it's not uh, a mystery. One place has small margins and it's all about efficiency. OK, 
Okay. The other place positions itself as more of an artist and it's all about creativity. And one is really highly respected and the other is run of the mill cookie cutter, not really value, not really respect. A lot of people love to hate McDonald's. Now I bring up this example because this is how a lot of developers tend to position and market themselves and try to run their freelance business. These are the developers who sell their services for five bucks an hour. That's the McDonald's of our industry. And what I want to warn against is so many of us who look at that and hate it end up trying to play that game with them. And it's an efficiency game. And if you want to go that route, you're going to make less money. You're going to work more hours. You're going to be less respected, less valued. You're going to be, frankly, miserable. Now, I understand there are different parts of the world, different countries where $5 an hour is a lot of money. And so for those people, it kind of makes sense. But for those of you who look at that and you don't want to do that, that's not how you want to take your career, live your life. You can't get caught up in trying to play the same game that they're playing. It doesn't mean that you can't compete on this playing field. It means that you have to play a different game. Okay. It means that it doesn't mean that you can't be in the burger business. It just means you can't be in the McDonald's Uber efficiency burger business. And you have to offer offer something different, something with perspective, something with artistry. If you want to get paid more, you want to work less, you want to be more respected and appreciated, and just, in my opinion, plain be happier, then you need to find your walking ched. Now, I've started doing a monthly training on all of this. And in this month's monthly training, I show you the eight questions that you need to answer to go from that boring, run-of-the-mill, cookie-cutter, underpaid, underappreciated, work more, make less, etc. How to go from that to something unique, something with artistry, with perspective and be well paid and appreciated. So there's eight questions that you need to answer in order to do that. Now I'm doing these trainings over on Patreon. So to get access to it, you're going to need to be a Patreon supporter. Now I've actually just made a major change over there to how I'm running things. So when you become a supporter over on Patreon, you're not only going to get access to this training, but you're also going to access to all of my source code. So if you've seen a YouTube video and you're like, Ooh, I want that source code. It's on Patreon. You're going to get access to that. You're going to get access to all of my courses, including PHP 101, which sells every day for $27 on my website right now. And my old lightning responsive course, I call it old. I did it a while back, but it's still very highly relevant. You're going to get access to that. That's not sold anywhere else. The only place that you can get that is over on Patreon. That's going to show you how to build responsive websites in a way where you can deliver on them really, really quickly for local clients. And then I'm also going to show you how to market uh, to those clients as well. So you can get access to that. Anything else, pretty much anything else that I might put on there. Also, my freelance templates that I've put out. Again, I have YouTube videos on those. If you've seen one of those, like, ooh, I like that. That's also over uh, on Patreon. And again, pretty much everything that I have to give you. And going forward, 
I would say 99.9% of the stuff that uh, I'm going to put out will will be available via Patreon as well. So uh, if you want to get access to that course, find out what those eight questions are and then how to answer them so you can go from the McDonald's to the zombie burger, then head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash Patreon. You'll see a video there that's going to explain to you exactly in detail everything that you're going to get as a Patreon supporter. You'll also see the link to where you can sign up to become a supporter there as well. I want to highly encourage you to do that, get access to that to that training, source code, all of that stuff. All right? So, again, johnmorrisonline.com slash Patreon for that. This this may be I – know, I know I do this a lot, and I, I you know point different products and so forth. But to me, this is the most important thing I'm doing right now. Uh, I think this is the biggest thing that's missing. In our, there's all sorts of coding tutorials and stuff out there. But what a lot of people don't talk about is how to get paid to do this. And how to, not in some gimmicky, inauthentic way that just doesn't feel right. and Or in some way where you have to work a thousand hours. But in a way where you can, you know, I homeschool my kids. I work from home. I don't work you know, 16 hour days. I don't, that's not the life that I want. So I'm going to show you how to do it in a way where you can make more, you can work less, you can be more appreciated and so forth. So again, I think this is the most important thing that I'm doing. If there's of all the recommendations I've had, if there's one that you decide, Hey, I'm going to just do one, let this be the one, uh, because I think it's where you'll get the most value. So again, johnmorrisonline.com slash Patreon. That's my, that's my hard sell pitch for you guys. (laughs) So, all right. Uh, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the show. Again, thanks for listening. If you like this episode, be sure to like it. You know, somebody benefit. I'd appreciate if you'd share it with them. If you want to subscribe, johnmorrisonline.com slash podcast, all the links for Android, iTunes, all that over there. And again, recommend getting on my daily, uh, tips newsletter, johnmorrisonline.com right at the top. And you'll also get access to my free PHP course there when you sign up as well and you get daily John Morris in your inbox. All right. That'll do it for the show. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.